murder, intrigue, mysterious names, outrageous behavior. No, this isn't fiction. It's part of the story we hear about in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 4. First 15 Podcast is brought to you by Word of Prayer, and I'm Ron. I'll be your guide on this journey. Welcome, if you're new to our podcast, and if you've been listening for a while, thanks for your support. We make it a practice to read the Bible as we listen to God speak to us. We meditate on the Word and then fashion it into a prayer to God. Subscribe or follow the podcast if you haven't already. Season 5 of our podcast is focused on learning to listen and pray through Bible stories or narrative, one of the most common literary forms in the Bible. So far, our plot, setting, and characters have been few and focused. First, we looked at the story of Samuel, at least the first three chapters in 1 Samuel. We talked about his parents and his spiritual guardian, Eli. And then we looked at the grand sweep of creation with God, Adam, and Eve in a garden in the book of Genesis. So today we hear about more people and the plot gets a little more complicated. So let's listen to the story from Genesis 4 now. Adam knew Eve, his Isha, or wife. She conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have gained an Ish, a man, from Yahweh. Again she gave birth to Cain's brother, Abel. Abel kept sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. As time passed, Cain brought an offering to Yahweh from the fruit of the Adamah, the ground. Abel also brought some of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Yahweh looked favorably on Abel and his offering, but he didn't show regard to Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and the expression on his face fell. Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has the expression of your face fallen? If you do well, won't it be lifted up? If you don't do well, Sin crouches at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to Abel, his brother, Let's go into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yahweh said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries to me from the Adamah. Now you are cursed because of the Adamah, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the Adamah, it won't yield its strength to you. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Look! You've driven me out today from the face of the Adamah. I will be hidden from your face, and I will be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Yahweh said to him, Whoever slays Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. Yahweh appointed a sign for Cain so that anyone finding him would not strike him. Cain 
left Yahweh's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Cain built a city and named it after the name of his son, Enoch. Erod was born to Enoch. Erod became the father of Mehujael. Mehujael became the father of Methushael. Methushael became the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the first one was Ada, and the name of the second one was Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, who was the father of all who handle the harp and the flute. Zilla also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the father of all who sharpen tools of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have slain an Ish for wounding me, even a young boy for bruising me. If Cain will be avenged seven times, then certainly Lamech will be avenged seventy-seven times. Adam knew his Isha again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, For God has set me other seed instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. A son was also born to Seth, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on Yahweh's name. There's a lot going on in those 26 verses of Genesis 4. We have many more people joining the story, and yet we still have many questions that come up, and some of them are left unanswered. For example, the first couple, Adam and Eve, they aren't explicitly recorded as having any daughters. So where did Cain's wife come from? In fact, after he killed Abel, Cain says that he's afraid of being killed by whoever finds him, but only his parents are around, if we only include those who've already been mentioned in the story. So is this just an irrational fear on his part? Cain seems to assume that he will encounter other people, but the story doesn't supply the specific detail of exactly how mankind began to multiply beyond the first family. Since the Bible doesn't answer these questions, maybe we should pay closer attention to the details of the story that we are told. And there is actually a lot to observe in this chapter. Two main parts of the story are, first of all, Cain and Abel in verses 1 through 16, and then those who come after Cain, especially Lamech and Seth, which is verses 17 through 26. So we actually cover a lot of ground in just a very short space. So from the beginning, we're told Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. When the first baby is born, Eve proudly declares, I have acquired or gained an ish from Yahweh, Cain sounds like the Hebrew word to acquire. Now, we, in English, just call it Cain. We don't pronounce it Cain, but that's how the Hebrew is. Then Eve names her second son Hevel, 
which is the way Abel sounds in Hebrew, and it means vapor or breath, which is a pretty appropriate name given how long Abel lasts in the story. Cain is a farmer, and Abel is a shepherd. Both of them bring offerings to God. Cain brings fruit from the Adamah, from the ground, while Abel brought some of the choice fat portions from the firstborn of his flock, which God looks on favorably. God's not so impressed with Cain's offering. We're not told why. Just like later, the the mark on Cain isn't explained or elaborated on. We may want to know these details, but we're just not told much more. It makes us read the passage, though, and really ponder it and ask this question and actually read attentively and look for other details in the story so that we can figure out what is the main thing then being emphasized if it's not these details that we kind of naturally gravitate to or ask questions about in our minds. This is one of the key features of Bible narrative or stories. They are very spare on details unlike modern stories, except when a detail is essential for grasping the central message of the story or it's a feature of the plot. So when the Bible does give us details or kind of lingers on certain parts of the story, we should really be sitting up and paying attention. Like, why is it doing this? This isn't characteristic or typical. So what we do find out in this story is that Cain is approached by God, who warns him. Now that's interesting. In the previous story, in chapter 3, Eve is approached by the snake who is out to deceive her and persuade her to disobey God. Now in this story, in chapter 4, Cain is approached by God who's actually concerned for Cain and he warns Cain so that he doesn't fall into sin. So the Bible gives us this contrast or maybe the technical term, a juxtaposition. You have the snake on the one hand approaching Eve to deceive her. And then on the other hand, you have God approaching Cain to warn him to stay clear of sin, to help him, basically. And sin itself is pictured, just the language. It's it's very spare, but it's vivid. It's, it's pictured as a wild animal. It desires Cain, crouching and ready to pounce like a tiger or a lion. So God tells Cain he must rein in his anger and rule over the sin and not let it master him or take over. Cain, however, isn't persuaded. Instead, he lures his brother out to the field and then strikes him down dead. So the first sin in the garden was disobedience by Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit of the tree that would give them knowledge of good and evil. Now, another sin comes up. This one even worse, murder, murdering a brother at that. God comes along and asks, where is your brother Abel? Cain lies, basically. I don't know. And then he adds a little snarky attitude. And he says, am I the shepherd of my brother? Well, that's what the word keeper means. It's the same word used to describe Abel's occupation as a shepherd. So Cain is kind of talking back here. He said, am I the shepherd of my brother who is the shepherd? That's what's insinuated in the passage. And so the sin 
that started with Adam and Eve is compounding. We had disobedience in the first place. Now we have murder. And then lying about the sin and an arrogant challenge back to God, throwing it back in his face. God responds exactly the same way he did to Adam and Eve. Actually, word for word, with the very short exclamation, what have you done? And when that phrase is repeated, I think it intends to call us back and heighten this comparison with the first sin. God says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the Adamah. Now, previously in Genesis 3, the serpent and the ground were cursed. And Adam and Eve received some difficult consequences for their sin. In Cain's case, things have taken a turn for the worse. And so in verses 11 and 12 of Genesis 4, God says, Now you are cursed because of the Adamah, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the Adamah, when you work the ground, it won't yield its strength or its fruit to you. You will be a fugitive and a nomad on the earth. And that word fugitive and nomad are very short, almost rhyming words in Hebrew. Not and nod. So you'll be a fugitive, not, and you'll be a nomad or a wanderer, a nod on the earth. In the previous story, in chapter 3, Cain's parents, Adam and Eve, received their sentence from God and are chastened because of their disobedience. Not Cain. He complains and he talks back to God, basically saying, no fair, that's unbearable. You're kicking me out and cutting me loose. I can't work the ground as a farmer. I won't enjoy the blessings of your presence. I'll be killed by anyone who finds me. No fair. So let's get this straight. Cain murders his brother lies to God, and then he sasses God sarcastically about not babysitting his brother. And then he has the gall to say God is unfair. But instead of a lightning bolt from heaven and Cain getting fried to a crisp, we get something else. Grace. God promises to protect Cain and take vengeance on anyone who lays a hand on him seven times over. And he puts a sign on Cain an obvious warning to others so they don't come under judgment. You see how God is working in this to rescue a pretty bad situation and try to work grace in here so that there's something, something good that can be reclaimed out of this very bad situation. Now, the elements of story or narrative that we've talked about this season, plot, setting, and character, they start getting really interesting in this chapter. First of all, consider setting. We aren't in the garden anymore. We're not in that ideal place of goodness and abundance in God's presence, which is not to say that God is absent. In fact, Eve rejoices in God when she gives birth to two boys, and they in turn bring offerings before God. God himself approaches Cain to warn him of letting sin get the upper hand. So God is not limited to the garden even though that was the place he created for mankind's enjoyment originally. After Cain kills Abel, God tells him he will be alienated from the ground that he worked as a farmer. He will be a fugitive and a wanderer. Again, the not and the nod. And then verse 16 says that 
he went out from Yahweh's presence and lived in the land of Nod, or Nod, and we'd say in Hebrew, which means the land of wandering. So he's going to be a Nod and a Nod living in the land of Nod. Kind of interesting, the Hebrew wordplay that comes out there. And Nod, or the land of Nod, is described as being east of Eden, which echoes exactly what happened to his parents in chapter 3. They were driven out of the garden, and a cherubim with a flaming sword is placed on the east side of Eden, guarding the entrance to the garden. Ironically, Cain does not live as a wanderer upon the earth, but instead he goes and builds a city, the first one recorded in the Bible. And he names the city after his son Enoch. This is not the same Enoch who walked with God. That Enoch shows up in chapter 5, the next one. Now, after Cain, five generations later, a son named Lamech is born. And Lamech has two wives. Another first in the scriptures. A man who has two wives. Again, there's no commentary given. The Bible doesn't sermonize, doesn't give comments on everything that happens and label it as this is bad, this is wrong, this wasn't good, but it subtly shows us the difficulties and complications of what happens when there were multiple wives. Anyone in the Bible who has multiple wives has problems with their domestic situation. So Lamech has four named children, three sons and a daughter, and each of the sons is noted for a different accomplishment. One is basically a rancher. He raises livestock. Another is a musician. And a third is an expert craftsman who made metal tools. But what's emphasized about Lamech, though, is his aggression and violence. Because he brags to his wives in this poetic, not exactly a couplet, but it's just a short refrain, a couple of verses, he brags to his wives that anyone who hurts him is really going to pay for it. If Cain was to be avenged seven times, as God promised him in verse 15, Lamech says he will be avenged 77 times. A pretty serious brag on his part. If this is the path that mankind is on, well, things just seem to be getting worse, which increases the sense of conflict in the story. And this is emphasized by the closing verses of chapter 4. After hearing about Lamech, someone who is five generations removed from Cain, one of his descendants, at the very end of chapter 4, we flash back five generations, back to Adam and Eve, and another character is introduced in the story. It tells us in a very short space, Adam and Eve have another son, and Eve names him Seth, which sounds like the Hebrew word for set or put, because, she says, God has set another seed, a child, in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And the final verse says, at that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. And so the basic conflict is laid out before us now. There are two paths for people to take in life. One is to follow God, to call on his name, to dwell in his presence. And the other is to go your own way, to make a name for yourself, to dwell in your own place or your own city, 
to brag about your deeds and accomplishments or your fierceness like Lamech. We're already starting to see patterns form and we're just a few chapters into the Bible, which really leaves us facing a question for ourselves. Which pattern, which path are you choosing? Let's pray about it. God, creator of man and woman, you give us babies, sons and daughters, and we take delight in them. We plant our hopes and dreams in them, whether they become farmers or musicians or wanderers or artists or city builders. Brothers and sisters, you long to see us live free of sin's mastery. You will not look the other way when people murder because you are good and you created us for goodness, not evil. God, in whatever this day brings, in everything we face, we will call on your name and ask you to be present with us in each moment of the day. We will not hold on to things of earth or be held by sinful desires that just bring us down. We lift you up and we ask for your grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you there's a lot going on in these 26 verses, and we didn't even explore all the parts of the story in detail. But the story, nonetheless, is taking shape. And while it's a God story, it happens on a human scale that's pretty familiar to us. I want you to reflect on how today's story speaks to you. Now, the details may not match your life. They certainly don't for me. But the patterns and the struggles are pretty familiar to me. And if this story were a song, it would be a familiar tune. I'll end with a few questions. What kind of name are you making for yourself? I'm not talking about fame. But your name represents your identity and character, the kind of person you are, the reputation that you have around those who know you. Eve, Cain, Abel, Lamech, Seth, all of these characters are known and remembered in this story for something. Each day by your choices, you are writing your own story. Write a good one and write it well. Now, after Genesis 4, let me remind you that Genesis 5 is a passage that we have already looked at on verse 15, but it's way back at the beginning in season 1, episode 2, when I talked about how to pray a family tree or a genealogy. And I don't recall that I read all of Genesis 5, but I focused on the first four or five verses. And I made some comments about the whole chapter. So I encourage you to go back. If you haven't heard it recently, go back and listen to it before continuing on in this season, in season five. In future episodes, we will look at key parts of the big story of the Bible, even though we won't try to cover all the details. We won't cover every chapter in Genesis by any stretch. And we won't go into all the twists and turns and all the details of the story in the Bible. That would take far too long. But I will focus in on some key episodes and give the overall sweep of the story. There's about six movements or parts. You could break it into smaller pieces, but we'll consider the main parts. And we've already covered the first couple here. 
and I'll call attention to that. Now, what you can do is use the process that we have demonstrated to read or listen and then meditate on scripture before praying it to God as your own prayer. And that's really my goal is to encourage you to venture out and read more of the Bible, all of the Bible, and to meditate and pray all parts of scripture and teach others to do the same. Let me hear from you with a note about how you are being helped or impacted by this podcast. You can find us at wordofprayer.com. That's with dashes, word-of-prayer.com, as well as find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Word of Prayer. Uh, we have pages or channels there. You can also support our podcast by checking out our books on Amazon or browsing our Etsy store with products that are inspired by these episodes. For links to all of these, check out our show notes in the description or just surf over to wordofprayer.com. Walk with God and call on his name today. Blessings. Blessings.